Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Takeout ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent... Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. This is a holiday show, folks. Right in between Christmas and New Year's. And we're going to lean into the holiday spirit. And spirits, if you will. So I want to talk to you about our guest first before I introduce him, show you his book, Climbing the Vines in Burgundy. We'll put a graphic up for those. I've got a hold of it. Alex Gamble is our guest. Grew up in Washington, D.C. Family had a very lucrative real estate and parking business, Colonial. I was a regular customer for many years, I assure you. Uh, And then he decided to do something almost no one in America has ever decided to do go to Burgundy, France, and become an owner of land and a creator of wine. And that's what the story is about, climbing the vines in Burgundy. Alex Gamble, it's great to see you. Thank you, Major. It's great to be here. I want to thank our host restaurant, Brasserie Beck, for the festive atmosphere. There'll be some cheeses and some food to go along with wine. So, Alex, I said this is a holiday theme show. One of the recurring questions I'm going to have you answer all episode is... What are good wine pairings for the holidays? That's always the question. Always, right? Always the question. And I think a lot of it has to do with who are you drinking with? And I use the word drinking, Mm -hmm. eating and drinking with. Um, And there are so many good wines that reasonable, and I'm just talking about wines, because I Mm -hmm. just, uh, spirits are not really my thing. Right. Um, But there are so many good- elastic definition of spirits. Yes, spirits, yes. But um, I would say you have to look at who is coming over. Okay. I mean, if you, there's no reason to buy a seventy-five or fifty-dollar bottle of wine if someone has never drunk wine before. There are delicious twenty-five-dollar bottles of wine out there. So I think that's probably your first, if you will, triage you have to do. Right. And then after that, um, it's really meaning it's not a scandal to buy your wine at a supermarket. Well, that's the big difference, and I talk about this in my book, is the huge change that's happened in the last 30 years that you can find, especially in large metropolitan areas. It's a little more difficult out when you get away from the large metropolitan areas, but um, most of these these, uh, grocery stores will have very, very good selections, not to mention the the specialty grocery stores. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, when you say who you're having wine with... um you're meaning 
Are they experienced wine tasters and consumers? And also, uh, how good a friend they are? A little. Or I, I would say, are, are you having you know, Uncle Fester and Aunt Esther over okay, yeah, right. for, for, for Thanksgiving or for Christmas dinner? Right. And then you say, okay, let's get something that's juicy, fruity, that everyone's going to like. Right. Um, uh, but I would say err on the side of something that's a little more accessible. And when I say juicy, fruity... Less tannic, and then mm-hmm. I don't want to get technical. Is we can go. That, right. That's a rabbit hole we don't want to go down. Exactly, for sure. Um, but I think you. But I'd say the best advice I can give anybody, and this is how I got into it, is you go into a a reputable merchant or a good a good say, I hate to say Whole Foods or a Total Beverage or mm-hmm. people like that where they have everything. Ask them. Right. Because they're going to say, you say, okay, I want to spend $25. This is what I'm having. This is the type of people coming over. And they'll give you five or six choices. So, you know, retail, and that's how I got into this. I went, used to hang out with a really great retailer. Mm-hmm. And it was that exploration. And, you know, if they're a good retailer, they're, gonna, they're, they're not going to um, mess you up, basically. They, they want to make you happy. And let's, let's use a phrase that my parents used to say. Let's say you're putting on the dog. You're really going to have a nice night. And right. you want to think about this structurally. Do you have uh, something with your cheeses early that is different than the wine you serve with the main meal? And then something you might have for strictly desserts. Yes, and of course that's uh, that's always the conundrum because in France we always have the cheese last. <laughs> so flip the script. But, but, Actually, it's but, the original script. But, We're the ones who flip it. Yes, but um, I, you know, I would say you know a, a Sauvignon Blanc or obviously white Burgundy is spectacular with cheese because what you want are wines with cheese that are have more acidity. Mm-hmm. Um, because your cheese is pure fat. And, well, I mean, it's a question of how much butter fat. It's all milk. Right. And so you have that acidity that blends with the cheese and the fat, and it makes the wine rounder and the cheese less heavy. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, and, and, and people go, oh, you know, I don't like Chardonnay. I don't like this, like that. Well, you'd be surprised if you try that. And then with the, with the, with the meat, it, it, obviously, um, not obviously, but... You know, if you're having a big red meat meal, mm-hmm. something like a Cabernet Sauvignon from California, um, a very Bordeaux like a roast or lamb or something but, but like something that. like that, absolutely right. roast lamb, um, a a, um, uh, a Bordeaux. You can get Bordeaux now from France very inexpensively. It's probably for me the best wine buy in the world. I mean, I would go down there and I visit my friends. And I go, I can't make wine this good at this price point. Okay, right. So, um, and then when you go to the fishes, if you want red wine with fish or uh, or Not chicken. a taboo, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, not right. Hey, trust me, I have it all the time. <laughs> um, uh, go with the Pinot Noir. You know, okay. red burgundy or, or, or one of the, um, I especially like, and I made wine in California in the Santa Barbara and the Santa Rita mm-hmm. Hills. And I like that flavor profile. And also the, 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 the Pinot Noir from Oregon, right. which, are, which will go pretty much with anything. Got it. How about for dessert? I tend to, I don't have a sweet tooth. Okay. Uh, and there are a lot of good, again, that's where you need to talk to a good, the sweet wines can get very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that because how they're made. And um, so I would, but, you know, if you want to splurge, you can always get a Sauterne from, from France. Uh, there's some wonderful um, ice wines and sweet wines from Canada. And a Are you ca- a fan of port? I love port. Mm-hmm. I love port, and um, and port is also a good buy right now. You'll you can find those, but again, we're talking having a sip of port, not drinking a bottle of ports. Okay, <laughs> moderation, ladies and well, gentlemen, to, to, in all to, things, but especially this conversation. Yes. yes. So, so I think that and, and port port is is very overlooked, and and the other thing is that tawny ports are probably the more interesting because the actual the Portuguese they drink tawny ports which mm-hmm. yes. rather than the regular ports mm-hmm. and they are I, I find them more interesting um, and also you can find some smaller producers so I listened to one of the podcast interviews you gave and you made mention that Americans love big fruity high alcohol wines well now I'm gonna get in trouble <laughs> with, with all my California friends <laughs> uh, yes they do Okay, um, uh, and, and, and is that a good thing or a bad thing, or is that just a reality? Well, I think what it's a reality, um, and it's not my taste buds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always found that um, 
I find as I get older, less is more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about that? How about that? that? That's a more diplomatic way to put it. Um, but you know what? What you have, and I'm, I'm not. I don't want to dump on the just American wines. You you have to realize that these these bigger, high alcohol, highly extracted wines are coming from very warm climates. Mm-hmm. So you're getting riper grapes, and therefore you're going to sweet. They're just by definition sweeter, and that sugar that you have is a real simple process. It's converted to alcohol. Correct. Okay, more sugar, more alcohol, and if you can't ferment all that sugar out, right. you have leftover sugar, and so people wonder why they have a hangover the next day. And I say, well, you know, you know, t- t- ha- ha- have a glass of scotch and a, and a Hershey bar, and you'll know what, there's a problem. You know, you're getting your sugar high. Otherwise known as the breakfast of champions. Absolutely. A glass so, of scotch and but, a Hershey bar. So, but, but, but my, <laughs> my, if you will, training, I use that term loosely, and um, uh, my last 40 years of my adult life in, you know, in, in, in a, hanging out at good wine stores and then making wine for 30 years, mm-hmm. um, I, I developed a taste profile where I like the lower alcohol wines because then I can drink more right. if you want to be right. very be brutally honest. <laughs> but also, it, 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 it's a flavor profile that you don't get that extra sweetness. Mm-hmm. I like more, more savory type um, foods. I mean, at the end of a meal, I w- I'd rather have a piece of cheese or nothing or just a glass of wine on its own rather than something sweet. But that's me. Right. I, I don't have a sweet tooth. Yes. Uh, your experiences and your taste buds, of course, my dear audience, vary. This is our holiday episode. Alex Scamble is our special guest. I want to thank our associate producer on this particular episode, Doug High. More from Doug High later. I'm Major Garrett, segment two of The Takeout momentarily. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to our holiday-themed episode of The Takeout. Alex Gamble is our special guest. Brasserie Beck is our host restaurant, and as I promised, lots of wonderful food here to go along with the wine. Alex, for the holidays... Sparkling wines, what should people know about that? Because oftentimes sparkling wines find their way through and around the holidays. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big sparkling wine fan. I mean, I, if you, when we were talking earlier, um, I mean, I love sparkling wine, champagne particularly, whether it's, you know, what was the old story? I'll have it in the morning, at lunch, dinner, and at night. Uh, it, 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 it always seems to go well. And what's wonderful is there are some wonderful sparkling wines from California. Um, what one needs to look at is how sweet they are because um, there are different levels of sweetness in the different sparkling wines. And, 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 and of course, my favorite is, is champagne. Um, and I always counsel people is that, um, and this is going to get us in real trouble, is you know, th- th- some people really love that yellow label stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I know too much about how these wines are made and um, so, but what's the one of the most interesting things are these small producers of sparkling wines, both in California, um, some in Oregon, um, but especially in Champagne. And if you go to a really good retailer, ask them to help you find a grower Champagne, which will be either less or no more than the big brands. Because the big brands who are making millions and millions of bottles, they spend so much on marketing. So you're paying a huge a big piece of the price of that bottle of, of champagne. And what's is that gonna, phrase again? Grower? Grower champagne. Grower champagne. Yeah. So 
to make a long story short. And a good retailer will know exactly yeah, what, what you it, mean yes. by that. And, and what that entails is it's it, Champagne is dominated by three or four large houses. Mm-hmm. And we know all those, Boulanger, Tatanger, the LVMH group, all that. And they have all these brands. But they don't own that many vineyards. So they're buying grapes in on these long-term contracts. And okay. then they're blending all these, if you will, grapes and wines together. So what's happened in the last 20 years or so, many of these small growers have decided to put the wine, their wine, and then champagne by the process, in bottle themselves and sell it under their own names. And it's very, if you will, under the radar, very confidential, and the wines are spectacular. And you can find them? you got to go to a good retail, or even okay. some of the larger retail stores will have some. Mm-hmm. Um, but it tends to be more of a specialty retailer. And is that something, Alex and I honestly don't know the answer to this, if you were to put grower champagne on the web, would there come a list yes. of things you could find yes. and you could buy directly there from? Yes. Well, you, you, you could find who the retailer is to buy them from. From Okay. So yeah, that, that's, a, that's another way yeah, to yeah, search. Yeah, that, that would probably be the best way if you mm. really want to work at it. And, right. and you'll find these are wonderful, wonderful wines and no more expensive than, um, uh, than again, the big brands. You were talking about some of the dynamics of winemaking, which is part and parcel of the core of the book, Climbing the Vines in Burgundy. Briefly for my audience, what are some of the essentials that a generalist who's curious about wine ought to know about how it actually is made and what are the, some of the fundamentals of the business side and the agricultural oh, wow. side. So, at the end of the day, it's about the grapes, mm-hmm. farming. It's high-end farming, especially farming, um, uh, boutique farming, especially what I did. You know, I had 30 acres of vines at the end, but as we were talking earlier with, 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 your, with your producers, um, I had 35, 40 separate parcels, an average of about, you know, a half acre per right. parcel. Because that's the way it is in, in, in Well, in, especially in Burgundy. Okay. So, so Burgundy, and, and, and again, as, as with Champagne, you have these basically these small farms, family farms, and for years they would grow their grapes, maybe make a little wine, sell the grapes off, sell some of the wine off, and that's this milieu I kind of fell into mm-hmm. 30 years ago. And um, it's changed a lot, but it's still the basic nuts and bolts of Burgundy. And so, um, and, and, I, and I was told that in the beginning, it's always about the vineyard. And then when I finally became a farmer, a high-end farmer, right. albeit a high-end farmer, I understood it. it's all about the grapes. I mean, a, a restaurateur, I mean, Robert um, uh, Wienemer, who owns this restaurant, and another one, and I've been coming to, I've known him for 25 years, um, he'll tell you, you know, give me average quality uh, ingredients, I'll make pretty good food, but not great food. Right. So it comes down to having the great ingredients and then not messing it up Mm -hmm. and and the follow through. Because it's farming, how important is the underlying soil? And that's the key. That's the key. And um, there are great, as I write in the book, and there's this, you can make good wine pretty much anywhere now. The technology is that. It wasn't like that 30 years ago when I started. There were a lot of bad bottles of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, the actual techniques, the farming techniques and the wine-making techniques are so much better than they were 30 years ago. The, um, the hard part is the details. It's attention to a lot of details. Right. Uh, from the farming, picking the grapes when they're just ripe, handling them correctly, doing the right barrel aging correctly, and then bottling correctly. None of these things are that hard to do but it's the, de- it's the devils in the details and the discipline to do the same thing day in and day out. That's that what That meticulousness takes. and that repetitive meticulousness. Absolutely. And, and, and you'll see this in this restaurant here or a three-star restaurant. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it, you'll see it. The restaurant's like, it's been blown up while, while service is happening. Food's going everywhere. It seems like a mess. Like my wine would be like that. But at night, it's clean. Right. Because you don't want anything around so that you don't have bacteria. So bad, bad things happen with bacteria. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to prevent, cleanliness. And that's part of the meticulous process. Absolutely. That Absolutely. you cannot let get out of your control even for a day. It's, I mean, I would go... Or even for hours. No, I mean, I would go into my winery on the weekends just to check the tanks mm-hmm. to make sure the, that, the, the, that the, one, the barrels were fine, but more when we were ready to bottle to, to make sure... 
the valves were closed correctly, that the top was sealed so no air was getting, I mean, I, I was, but that's the difference because right. I, was, I remember early on when I was in wine school, I visited a friend who had left the top, or it got deflated, basically the, the seal on top, and the wine was ruined. Mm -hmm. And, 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 it, and it, it, it was, it was a basically a $3 inner tube that could have sealed that tank and it didn't work. And one thing I learned is the time horizon here is complicated for someone in the business, well-established or breaking in. What you're getting loans for or what you're capitalizing doesn't show up for something you're selling for two or three cycles? Two or three years. Two or three years, yeah. I mean, basically, um, and, and sometimes it's shorter depending on the wines and all that, but generally speaking, if we have, say, a harvest this year in 2023, those wines are going to be sold right now in, in the fall of 2025. Right. At the earliest. At the earliest. Right. You know, and, and then by the time you get your money, it's, it's going to be 30 months from the harvest, let's say at best. Right. And, and, and then you've had, you have two vintages in, be, in between there and you get your money. I mean, it's right. a huge investment. It's a, it's a huge cycle. And people don't realize that. Um, I, I try to, the business. You need really good financial partners who are believers and who are willing to ride that cycle through. Well, there, 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 there's an expression in English, which I won't use, about, about having um, uh, cojones. Um, right. but, but in French, it's called they, they, they render the fair, basically steel kidneys. Right. To be able, be able to handle it. And, um, and as I write in the book, in 2016, we had a frost. I lost 50% of my grapes but 85% of my four or five best vineyards, these two white vineyards where I actually have really good margins, and I lost 85% of the grapes. And it wasn't just everyone lost it. It wasn't because I was a bad boy. The whole area was wiped out. And what do you do? You can't get that back. You can't and, get that and the, back. And in the morning, I lost 300 to 400,000 euros worth of grapes, a half a million dollars worth of grapes. In one morning. In one morning, which meant but you make the money not on the grapes, in bottles. So I'd, that was probably a million dollars worth of sales, which I didn't have right. two years later. Right. That's that's what people don't understand, it, and so you it's it's that's why this is a doing it on this scale as as I did on a small amount. It's a generational business. It takes that long. You got to go through many, through so many cycles to be able to kind of weather. Those, uh, those challenges. Generational business indeed. Alex Gamble is our special guest. The book, Climbing the Vines in Burgundy. I'm Major Garrett. This is a special holiday edition of The Takeout. More in just one second. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to The Takeout, a special holiday-themed edition. Alex Gamble's our special guest. Tell me, because I think your eyes are going to light up when I ask uh -oh. this question. Who's Becky Wasserman? Becky Wasserman is a legend. Um, and she, the, vital the, the to your life and success. Absolutely. So she's the late Becky Wasserman. Um, she passed away about a year or so ago. Um, and when I went to France, in, the first visit was in March 92. My wife and I went to France on a vacation. And through a local wine store here in Washington, um, we met Becky. Um, who was this, really a pioneer in Burgundy, in the wine business. And she had moved to France in 1968 with her uh, husband, Bart, who was, a, was a, who was an artist, and their two young kids right in the middle of the May Day um, uh, uh, strikes and everything yeah. else. They literally had to come through Switzerland because there was no gas. Right. And kind of a hectic time. A little, a, a little, as they say, as the French say, a bordel. It was a mess. 
Um, and in the mid 70s, she started, she got bored and started um, going to the United States selling French oak barrels. So she exported the first French oak barrels and they were made at Francois Frere, this um, barrel maker, small family operation in Saint-Romain. And I actually now live, my home is right next to Saint-Romain. And she would go around and Andre Chelichev, the, 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 the legendary winemaker at BV Vineyards, um, bought the first French oak barrels from her. Wow. And Just stick with us for a second, ladies and gentlemen. She's a woman in America in the early 70s? Mid-70s. Mid-70s. 75, trucking 70. around, essentially, the countries. Yeah, and, and she, and she Selling wine and, barrels. And she told me the story. She literally had a little mini barrel she carried around. And... Door to door barrel sales. I mean, woman, that's you know? that's what it was, <laughs> and God love her for doing it. And then um, she knew so many winemakers who she thought the wines were good. She then started taking samples, mm-hmm. and it was primarily to I think San Francisco was the first big market because she was out there selling the barrels, right. and she started selling these small again these artisanal small producers, people like um, uh, uh, Pierre Moray and. Um, uh, the Lafarges, who are dear friends of mine, mm-hmm. and the Pavlos from Savigny Le Bon. And all of a sudden, she just became a real, and then she um, hooked, she basically um, worked with um, Kermit Lynch, who is a big, well-known importer out there, and helped, find, helped him find wines and with other people. So it became a, um, she, was, she, was, she was the go-to person for Burgundies for a long, long time. And how does that intersect with you? So I met her through this retailer, the Mayflower Wines and Spirits, here in D.C. And um, Becky is a wonderful, wonderful promoter. Um, um, but unfortunately, people took advantage of her financially. Mm. So I met her in 92, and she need, and this was also in the middle of the savings and loan crisis. And basically, some of her importers stiffed her big time. So I came in to help recapitalize and help, help with the financing of the business and help manage it. And um, basically, she explained how she always had young stagiaires or apprentices, and and I was 35. My my friend was 35, and we had a you know a four year. Alexa, they were six and seven at that five and seven at that point. My kids, and um, we said we'd love to come over and help and work for you, and uh, if you don't mind us coming in a year with our two little kids. And that's what we did. We arrived in May 93 in Burgundy. We were the only Americans in the area. The kids went to the French school. They were bilingual in about five or six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was working with Becky, and my wife was a graphic designer, so we were working, doing, doing work with her. And, and I she was, provided Becky entree to this world. Absolutely. If it wasn't for Becky, it wouldn't have happened. Absolutely. And, but then I always say that my, our secret weapon were the kids because going to local schools, all of many of their friends' parents were winemakers. Okay. Because we were all, I was 36 when I got there, and we were all this baby boom generation taking over from their parents. Mm-hmm. And um, So you kind of slid into that generational oh. thing, even though you weren't part of the generational cycle. But it was just, the kids, I mean, no matter where you live, who are your friends? They're, they're your friends, your, your children's friends, right. your children's friends' parents, right. who you hang out with. And that's how it all came about. And through those relationships, whether it was birthday parties, Christmas, Easter, um, marriages, funerals, end of the year school barbecues, um, we met all these wonderful people who became our dear friends who were also great winemakers. And that's, that was my, if you will, school. And they became kind of a impromptu set of advisors and Absolutely. counselors as you made this leap into this world. Absolutely. I mean, and none of them ever refused to help. I mean, so many of them said, oh, I said, do you know someone who has some grapes to sell? They said, oh, well, go call so-and-so and tell them I told you. Okay. And it was that entree um, that allowed me to really get the business going. So you have Becky, you have this community, but you're a high-end farmer, which means you have to live with the climate. Yes. And how has and how did climate change influence and affect your ability to do your work and what are your thoughts about farming and climate change now well this is one of the main you know so i sold everything major you know in july 2019 Mm -hmm. for various reasons one of the four or five reasons was this issue of climate change gotcha um and it's there are multiple levels to it um but primarily I was turning 60, 61, and I go, I don't want to 
I'm going to need 20 years to figure this out. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's now time for new generation to look at it. And it's going to require new plants, new, new basically doing research and finding better plant materials that can resist these diseases that we're having more of because mm -hmm. of climate change, um, crazy weather patterns. Um, and the biggest weather pattern problem is that we don't have the cold winters like we used to. Mm -hmm. And not to get into the, the horticulture part of it, but basically it gets to, we don't have these cold winters, so bud break, the vines start coming out of their dormancy much, much sooner now. Instead of end of March, early April, it's now oftentimes end of February, first of March. So it's a four to six week swing. And what happens is we always, Burgundy tends to get these cold spells in April and May. There's this term called the sun glass, the Saint ice. Mm. And we'd always say, if we get back past the 11th of May, we're not gonna have a frost. Well, in 2016, we had a frost the end of April. <clears throat> it, was my, it was basically 27, 28 degrees. And that's when I lost all that frost. In 2017, we nearly had the same problem, but we burned hay bales and created a cloud, a smoke cloud. So that way when the sun came up, it didn't, basically what you get is, it's not the cold it gets, it's just a bit of small frozen ice. Yes. It's called black ice. They, 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 they've, they've basically, um, ver glace, or, yeah, uh, glace noir. And what happens is, is that there's this little coating of ice on the vines, on the embryonic buds, and as the sun comes up, it acts as a magnifying glass or a prism going through it and it burns the vines and the leaves. It's not the cold. It's that burning. It's burning because think about Florida. Mm -hmm. What do they do? And when it gets cold, they have the sprinklers. Right. And you make an igloo over it because it can't get, with an igloo, you can't get colder than 32 degrees. Right. Water freezes at 30, it doesn't get colder than 32. Right. It's an, actually, an, it actually has an insulation device. But without that, you're, and the sun comes up, Basically, it ends up being like your, your, your lettuce you've left in the back of the refrigerator get wilts. Right. And that's what happens. Right. So by creating this cloud, as we did in 2017, we were minus, we were basically 27, 28 degrees. And then the sun comes up and the temperature's gone to three or four degrees the, the, without the sun coming through and the ice has melted. Fair to say, Alex, that every farmer you interacted with doesn't debate whether climate change is real, just how to adapt to it? It's, it's an adaptation, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, they're not worried about the academic. Is it real? Not real. They know it's real and they're adapting. It, it's 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 yes. We don't have a choice. I mean, it, it's not a political decision. It's just right. like, what are we going to do? Because, right. you, you know, and so what's happened is these these the, when I got to there 30 years ago, harvest was never before the th third week in September. Um, Use the end of September, maybe even a little in October. Now, I mean, and the first one we had was 2003, which was in August. Now, many, many of them are in August. Really? Yes. And and so there. So I think we, we will adapt, but it's going to be hard because um, it's not only the plant, but it's the human, as in mm -hmm. us men and women, who have to go work those vines, harvest those wine, those grapes. And you know all the logistics that goes behind it has to change. So it's just not one thing. It's it's it's, it's the whole, if you will, environment. The whole the, the whole system has to adapt. The matrix around winemaking will have to adapt. Alex Campbell is our special guest. Boy, do we have a lot of food here. We will get to it. I promise you, ladies and gentlemen. Segment four of this special holiday edition of the Takeout coming your way. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery. Starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
Happy holidays, everyone. Holiday-themed episode of The Takeout in between Christmas and New Year's, heading to New Year's for those who are seeing this on CBS Streaming or Paramount Plus. We thank you. Alex Gamble's our special guest. The book, again, Climbing the Vines in Burgundy. So, Alex, uh, let me just get slightly nerdy and econometric for a second. Tariffs and the relationship between European taxation, American taxation, does that complicate or did it complicate your life as a vintner? What's the proper term? Vintner or? Vigneron, vintner, yeah. Vigneron. Yeah, vigneron. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, Burgundy is has always been especially high-end product. So it's, always, it's usually a big part of its exports. So we have to be aware of all these different export markets. I mean, as I say, this is a small, hyper-complicated little business. Mm -hmm. And so in France, you have, it's actually relatively straightforward. There's a 20% VAT tax on every bottle. Um, Value-added tax? Yes. Which, those keeping track at home? Yes, and it, it is, it's, it's pure and simple consumer tax. Yes. I mean, let's not, let's not be any, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a consumer tax, pure and simple. Um, and then in a place like England, you have a excise tax on the bottles as they come in, plus a VAT. Mm-hmm. Um, Asian countries, it's a little simpler, but basically, usually a straight excise tax as mm -hmm. it comes in. And then there's the United States, um, our beautiful country, <laughs> that um, has created the most dysfunctional mm -hmm. uh, distribution system in the world. We basically have 51 separate com countries. And to make a long story short, after, the, um, after Prohibition with the 22nd Amendment, basically the government left up, it up to the states. Regulation and taxes. Right. And it's one time, the, actually, the Commerce Clause really doesn't apply. I mean, there's a lot of ways to read it. But basically, it allowed the local states to regulate booze. Right. And so you have to figure out how to negotiate that. And that's then you have to figure out distributors, right. importers. You can have a national importer. But there's no such thing as a national distributor. Each distributor is, is separately licensed in each state. So it's a hyper-complicated system that just adds to the cost of doing business and the end consumer ends up paying for it. There's a phrase I want you to explain because I came across it and it sounds interesting. What's mucking the stems? Oh, mucking the stems. <laughs> well, that's that's much more interesting and fun than, than taxation. That's, that's uh, like my transition there. We go that, from that was, VAT that was, to mucking well, the stems. Well, that was a big transition. I didn't expect that. I thought something much more, much more finance oriented. Mucking the stems is so... Uh, we, in most cases... Now, I've lost it. In most cases, when we're making the wine, we de-stem the grapes. So we literally take the grapes off the stems. And so it goes through this machine and basically has this drum and these little fingers and it kind of gently knocks the grapes off. The grapes fall down go or on a conveyor belt and go into the tank and then kicks the stems out. Okay. So you have a lot of basically, you know, think about your Thompson, uh, Tom, uh, uh, Thompson Sealess grapes on your table. Right. That's a stem. Right. Okay. All this organic it's, 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 material. That's and it's a lot. To, and, yeah. and, when you're, and so literally um, when I was working in, the, in one of those um, uh, apprenticeship shops, I was down in the hole pushing in this wagon as the, as the stems come down, evening it out so it wasn't one big pile. I see. That's winemaking. Very glamorous. Very glamorous. <laughs> you know, and then as, I, as you read, then I go and get to clean the floor, right. clean the hoses, <laughs> and maybe do a pump over and wait for the next load of grapes and... I mean that's winemaking. I mean, yeah. it, I mean honestly, and and I've had so many. Um, that's I've had a handful of high-end sommeliers and restaurateurs who wanted to come work, harvest, and had no idea the physical mm -hmm. aspect to it and how very unglamorous it is. Got to be. It's farming. It's unglamorous. It's, it's, it's farming, and, and it's a process. I mean, people. Say, oh, I want to. I mean, it's laborious. I mean, it's people hard go. Work. Oh, I want to go work in a kitchen. No, you don't. <laughs> I mean, you only think you do. You, you think you do. I mean, you got to be a glutton for punishment. Making wine is a glutton. I mean, but you, if you got, you either love it or you don't. Right. And and I love the process. I mean, I love I loved making something. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably one of the reasons why we do it. Whether you're a restaurateur or mm -hmm. a manufacturer, I mean, you're growing these grapes and you're seeing, pardon the pun, this product come to fruition. Right. 
And that's what's wonderful. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it gives you a great sense of accomplishment. I want to ask you about the farming aspect of it, because something that's going on in America now that's somewhat new, I wonder if it was at all prevalent in France, agricultural tourism. People coming to see farmers farm or being adjacent to it and sort of getting the semi-rural experience and feeling like they're part of it. And there are some parts of America right now where this is becoming kind of a, a, a source of revenue, right. but also a source of distraction and a kind of hassle. And I, and I wonder if there anything like that happened no, in France. No, and, and, I, and I would describe it as a distraction. Yeah. Um, I mean, perhaps some of the very large estates um, might be able to do it where they have some economies of scale. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as I mentioned, I had, um, I had 30 acres and all these different parcels. Right. I mean, it was hard enough you have for to me. You your car, keep going and going and oh, going. Oh, to me, just trying to keep track of it, you know. And, 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 and I was lucky. I had really, I had a really good vineyard team, and God love them. You know, and we farmed everything bio, biodynamic, you know, organic, plus, plus. But um, it was not, um, no, that was not, that's not in Burgundy. It's just too small because we're, basically, you know, we're doing everything. Right, of course. Doing no everything. time for that. No. So I'm a native Californian. It would be remiss of me not to say... California is a really impressive place to make wine, is it not? Well, you know, and I made wine there I for know. three years in Santa Barbara. Yeah. And um, so I had a business partner in Vines in France who um, we kind of got this idea and we teamed up with Peter Work at Amplos Vineyard and another friend who was the actual guy who planted three or 4,000 acres out in the Santa Rita Hills. And we made some Pinot Noir and Chardonnay in 2016, 2017, and 2018. And the whole idea was, could we make something that was not California? Mm -hmm. um, and, and also the idea was, is there this concept of terroir or the character of the vineyard? Like the, terroir is a hard word for Americans to understand, but the idea is that certain vineyards have certain characters, and we wanted to prove, I wanted to prove, by taking grapes from two different vineyards, making them in exactly the same way, the same wood, same barrels, all, no different. Is there a difference? And I believe there is. And we made, I mean, three years, three very good Chardonnays and two fantastic Pinot Noirs in 2018. Um, but it just became, frankly, too much work. Um, not so much. It, making the wine is easy. Selling it is the hard part. And none of us wanted at that point in our lives to create a new brand. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I think we proved our point. We got great reviews, and people people said this is this is. It was interesting. One of my a couple of my partners go, Alex. This is not Burgundy, but it's definitely Gamble wine. Right. Which I took as a real compliment. So stylistically, it was very similar. And I and and I'm a big for me the best Pinot Noir and Chardonnay in America come from come from the Santa Rita Hills in Santa Barbara. Yes or no question, because we have to wrap up yes. on this segment. Is there a real rivalry between French and California winemakers? No. 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 I mean, we, there's so much cross, um, again, bad word, fertilization. Uh, and and it, it, it's, we're all colleagues. We're all interested in what each, maybe 30 years ago, right. 40 years ago, but now with, if More you More respectful, collaborative now. Yeah, it's, 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 we all want it. If, 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 if the idea is that all boats rise with a rising tide. Right. That's Alex Gamble. Stay tuned for the takeout outtake especial, but this has been, I hope you've enjoyed it, a holiday-themed takeout. Alex Gamble, thanks so much. The, thanks so the much book again, Climbing the Vines in Burgundy. Stay tuned for your takeout outtake especial. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to your takeout outtake especial, a special holiday-themed 
takeout outtake especial. Alex Gamble's our special guest. His book, Climbing the Vines in Burgundy. The topic, of course, is wine for the holiday season. Alex, is there a barrier to entry for a certain level of sophistication you have to have or attain before you can thoroughly enjoy wine? No. 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 And um, there is that kind of aura, though. It's sort of suggested, is it not? Well, I spend a lot of time uh, talking about that in the book. Yes. And, and I don't want to say bashing it, but... Mm-hmm. Um, kind of deconstructing it a little bit. Yeah, I want people to understand that, it, as in most things, people, humans, want to have um, certitude. Yeah. And we look to experts to tell us what we should like and not like. And I think the key with wine, this is how I learned, is, and I've said this earlier in our talk, is find a good retailer. Mm -hmm. You can go in and say, tonight I'm having friends over, we're cooking this, what do you recommend? Right. And then then go back and talk to that retailer saying, well, I liked it, but not so much, and then try it again. Because it's a learning process. This is, it's, it's not a, uh, as I said, it's not an SAT test. Right, right. And, and so you have to be curious. If you're curious, you'll learn. And you don't have to be a great expert t- taster. You don't have to spend a lot of money, but you have to be curious. Mm-hmm. And if you're not curious, it, with, with any endeavor, you, you need that. And, and I saw that Becky Wasserman uh, was not a fan of the thesaurus approach to describing wine, lots and lots of adjectives. She just wanted a plain spoken, blunt language. Are you, are you, do you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, you know, I can, I mean. We don't need to make references to saddle leather or. Oh, uh, no, I, I, I mean, I can't. Well, the interesting major is I, I've lost a big, a big part of my smell. Okay. And it's not COVID. It's, it's, I'm not sure exactly why, but I can still taste. Mm-hmm. And for me, and this is what I want, I, I, I want people to, don't, don't think you need all these adjectives. How does the wine feel in your mouth? What does it remind you of? Does it remind you of art, music, a building, architecture, uh, an actor, an actress, someone you love or someone you hate? I mean, think in those kinds of terms. I think it's much more interesting than an adjective because one person's orange is another person's tangerine. Right. right. I mean, it's, you know. It's <laughs> another person's clementine. Exactly. It's whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So I, so I think you have to look at, again, wine connoisseurship. And I, I talk about this. Mm-hmm. is that It comes from the French word connaître. To, it's knowledge, to know. Right. Okay. It's not to know a person. It's mm-hmm. to know something about. So the, the connoisseurship or connaissance is that you can begin to discern things and that's much more that's a much more interesting way to look at food mm-hmm. and wine and spirits and 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 especially beers mm-hmm. than you know what am i tasting right and i that's right that's right I, I push and if you develop that connoisseurship share it don't use it like a hammer absolutely don't be a jerk as my fault don't be a jerko about it <laughs> you know don't you know, we, we got enough know-it-alls, especially in this town in Washington, or, or people who think I've they know it all. Too. You know, who think they know it all. Because I tell you, I um, what, what, there was what was this great Harry Waugh, the great uh, English wine writer. He was asked, "Well, Mr. Wall, when was the last time you confused Burgundy and Bordeaux?" And he goes, "Not since this morning." <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's one of the great lines of all time. You know, and I'm going, "Okay, you know, yeah. it, it, it keeps you this business." keeps one honest Mm -hmm. and it's something you go your whole life learning and you've got to be able to learn i mean and if or when you go to a restaurant ask the sommelier i mean in a good restaurant they're going to buy wines that are going to go with their foods that's the other thing i forgot to say i mean that point is like you know what or say what's i would go in a restaurant what's new teach me i want to learn that's what you have to do a non-wine question, a non-business question. During your time in France, did you always feel like an American in France, or did you ever feel like a Frenchman in France? No, I never felt I was a Frenchman, but I learned, I knew the culture in many ways maybe better than the French. Mm-hmm. Um, I could look at it from 
you know, 10,000, 30,000 feet. I remember one of my first wine trips, I met this a Frenchman, he was an American, he moved here in 1957, and he said, to, and he was a rabid Frenchman and a rabid American at the same time. And we're on the plane, and he said to me, Alex, don't think you're gonna be a French, Frenchman. Don't run around with a beret and your baguette <laughs> on your arm and smoking giton. But he said, know the culture, know them better than they know themselves, and then they will respect you. Right. And I took that to heart, mm -hmm. and um, and that allowed me to have that patience. And you know, I would get sometimes go, "What's going on?" I mean, I I'm still an American, mm -hmm. but I loved I love the French. I love the fact that I get the get the vibe. And when I land there, it takes me about an hour or two, and then I'm into it. Mm -hmm. And I just go, oh. you flow with it. Right. You can't fight it. Right. No, you, it's perfect. They don't fight City Hall. No. And look, every culture wants to be appreciated, and part of appreciation is serious study and observation. Absolutely, and and, and again, curiosity, mm -hmm. um, and and culturally or in terms of wine or anything else. Absolutely, Alex, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks Thank so much, you so much for having me. Happy holidays, folks. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.